Thanks, Caro, for um, bringing us that, uh, that bit of the Bible. We're going to stay in Acts, so if you've got that open, that'd be great. We're going to look at um, Acts 2 and uh, that passage there in Acts 6 as well this morning as we consider the joys and challenges of growth. So I'm going to uh, pray and ask God's help for us, and we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is living and active. Father, we thank you that we have so many copies of it here that we can have it open in our laps, in our own language, and that, Father, you have preserved it. We pray now, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you'd take this word and that you would challenge us, you would change and equip us, and that you would prepare us for all that you have ahead. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Fantastic. Well, it's a, uh, it's a very special day in the life of our church, and you get why, don't you? You've heard that a number of times, but I'm going to make it a little bit more special for you, just because I'm on a little bit of a buzz this morning. So here's why today is a special day. So almost this day, so it's actually May, but almost this day, six years ago, uh, this was the entirety of New Life Anglican Church. And it's a, uh, it's a small group, and uh, it has our... Um, uh, co-founding pastors, Matt and Mandy, uh, there with us, and uh, a couple of families. And that, that was six years ago. Uh, and Central Avenue, in a, in a room there, that was the, the whole church. And then uh, this is us uh, three years ago, on this day, actually it was the 27th, uh, that the building was open for the first time. And we actually came in through construction gates that were still up there, ready for the opening that would be next week. Um, so it actually had, the building actually hadn't been officially kind of released into the wild, but we said we really need to have a practice before we have the Archbishop here to open the building officially. So, uh, so this was this day uh, three years ago, and I think we said that there are, there are six rows of chairs out. So it goes back to, uh, where are we, one, two, three, four, five, six, about where you are, Al, if you can put your hand up. That was, um, that was we had church back to there, that was it, and you can see acres of carpet there. The first time in this building, and we had no second service at that point, this was the whole church three years ago. Pretty exciting. And then a year ago, today, uh, we started New Life at Night. So it was only a year ago we started our second service. And tonight, we're going to have a little birthday celebration, which is very exciting. I'm looking forward to that very much. But it was only a year ago that we became a church with two services, And uh, we had a bunch of friends and hangers on that night. But I think we're almost back to that size, I think, uh, now, which is is often the way it goes on launch. Lots of uh, of friends around. Um, But that that service is uh, steadily growing, and I'm I'm really excited about that. And then last week, uh, a bunch of you were here, which is fantastic. And we all held up a big banner, and we said, yes, in a week's time, we're going to become a church with three services. So today's really special. We've been doing a 10 a.m. service as a church for five years and we started off in this building over here, the, um, the school down the road, uh, where we fit into two classrooms on the first day we started. Uh, God is good, and it's all God's growth. It's all God's growth, and we're incredibly thankful for it. What we're going to do this morning is see what we can learn from growth in the book of Acts. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6 and see what, what lessons can we learn from what God did in the first church uh, they're recorded. Uh, I'm going to start off with a, a little illustration about eyesight. Does anyone have perfect eyesight? Put your hand up. Mm. And the rest of us didn't see their hands go up. Is that, is that right? <laughs> uh, 
Imagine that you had somebody who you knew had an issue with their eyes, but they didn't know it themselves. And a classic case like this can be um, cataracts, right? Uh, They just kind of grow up really, really slowly until eventually you find yourself kind of looking through kind of frosted glass is how I kind of understand it. Now, some of our Chesalonians would nod and say they have some insight into that. I don't yet, but it happens. Now, if I say to you, you've got, you've got um, cataracts, first of all, you'd have to think about it to know, and then you go, oh, yeah, I'm not seeing as clearly as I would. But if I said you should do something about that, how much can you do about it yourself? Eye things are like that, aren't they? There's, there's, nothing you can, there's no home solution. You can't get the old razor out and give it a bit of a... That's not going to work, okay? So first of all, you might not be aware of the trouble... And secondly, if you were aware of it, you couldn't do anything about it anyway. You need some outside help. Now, imagine you had someone who you could see had this problem but refused to acknowledge it. You'd be going, come on, you, you can be free of this. You can see clearly. First of all, you have to acknowledge it, and then you'll have to ask for outside help. Well, that's, that's exactly how the church started. If you look with me, uh, there was a sight problem. I think, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And if you look with me at uh, Acts chapter 2, we're going to see a sight problem. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verses 36 to 37. And uh, the Apostle Peter, it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. Uh, the early believers have started speaking in other languages and everyone in Jerusalem has gone, that's weird. And then there's some people have said that's actually because they're drunk. And then people said, people don't generally speak in other languages when they're drunk. Something else is happening. And so a huge crowd gathered. And Peter stood up amongst them, the Apostle Peter stood up amongst them and said, I'm going to fix your sight problem. Have a listen to what he did in verses 36 and 37. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard about this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What they did was they said, guys, you have a problem. You haven't seen Jesus correctly. I'm going to point out to you that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He's the promised king and he is the king of the universe. And by the way, you crucified him. They were cut to the heart. Brothers, what must we do? So they recognized their sight problem and then they said, we need help. Something needs to happen for us. The early church is founded on proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the cross and proclaiming the Christ, another word for the Messiah, proclaiming the cross and proclaiming the Messiah. And the dreadful news is it wasn't just an accident. We're responsible. You crucified him is what Peter says to them. That's pretty full on, isn't it? It's not like a terrible accident befell Jesus and you might get some benefit from it. He says, no, 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 you guys are responsible for crucifying him. So they proclaimed the cross and the Christ. And what they saw was cutting conviction. It says they were cut to the heart and said, brothers, what must we do to be saved? It wasn't like, oh, that's mildly interesting. There's a bit of, I didn't know. Did you know Jesus was crucified the other day? (laughs) Who knew? They got it. They saw it and they needed relief. Lord, have mercy. And so they call out, brothers, what shall we do? Well, the answer is right there, and Peter uh, tells, uh, tells them what we would tell people today who didn't know about Jesus. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Firstly, how beautifully forward-looking is that? 
right? You repent and be baptized. This promise is for you. Guys, how beautiful is this? And your children. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. Isn't this amazing? This this is day one of the church. And he's saying, there's a blessing for you. There's a blessing for your family. And there's a blessing into the future. Isn't that beautiful? I, I absolutely love it. And so repentance is the right response. If you get Jesus, if you see him clearly, the right response is, Lord, we repent. So repentance is the right response. I want you to see, he didn't just stop there. Have a look with me at the bit that follows in verses 41 and 40, uh, 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I, I often think that we, um, we kind of have this picture. Peter stood up and said, brothers, you crucified Jesus. And they went, that's terrible. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Great, we're done. And you think, that's the best sermon ever. But what it actually says is something I think more interesting. It says, with many other words, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It wasn't just a one-shot thing, and he had his whole heart in it. And he pleaded persistently with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Then we see something amazing happens, doesn't it? It's day one, and what happens? Well, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. But I was intrigued when I read it. Have a look at the start of verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. What does that suggest? Some didn't. It's the best sermon ever. The Holy Spirit has been causing people to do extraordinary things. 3,000 people respond and some people go, not my thing. Isn't that amazing? But I think that's actually really encouraging. Too often, I think, we idealize the early church and we think it happened in a fairy book rather than in the real world, right? So everybody got saved on the first day. That's how they had a church of 3,000. What if there was more than that? What if there was a crowd of 10,000 there and 3,000 were saved? Would that change your expectation? It's interesting, isn't it? Now, we're not told that number, so don't, don't build anything on that. All I'm saying to you is those who accepted the message were baptized. There was fruit, but I don't think it was everyone. Now, that sounds like my world, doesn't it? There's fruit, but it's definitely not everyone. Okay, so what brings the growth? What brings the growth? Well, giving the message of new life. It's what we've been saying we're on about right from day one. Giving the message of new life is what brings the growth. Proclaiming Christ and the cross. And guess what? Same as it ever was. There's no change in that. That's what we're going to continue to do. That's what we have been doing. And that's what is required. Same as it ever was. And in fact, I'm delighted to say that our church has been and will continue to be doing it. We see it happen a little bit at a time with kids. We see it with adults. And we see it with people who are coming to know and trust Jesus. We're doing it. Praise God. Let's keep doing it. What are the joys of growth? What are the joys of growth? In order to tell you about this, I need to tell you about a guy called Dan McLaughlin. Uh, he started a thing called the Dan Plan. I love Dan. He's amazing. So he was a professional photographer, which sounds like a pretty good job to me. But he decided that he'd read a book that was saying that uh, it takes 10,000 hours to be a master of anything that you want. You heard this theory? 10,000 hours of practice at anything you want and you'll be a master at it, right? That, that's kind of what the thesis of the book was. So he said, look, I'm not really into my th- photography. I could do whatever with my life. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to put 10,000 hours into becoming a professional golfer. And I'll write a little blog and see if that can raise some money along the way and I'll just go for it, right? And so he started playing golf 
every single day. Got coaching and everything, and he went from never having played golf, he got down to the point where he had a handicap of 2.6, which is apparently the top 6% of all people who play golf. He was devoted, absolutely devoted to the path of becoming a pro golfer. Now, the interesting part of the story is his back gave out and he stopped at 6,003 hours, I think. <laughs> and he hasn't been able to swing a club for the last four years or something. Um, but devotion is right there. I want to show you devotion that'll pay off much better than trying to become a professional golfer. Have a look with me uh, at what the early church did in uh, Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 to 43. They devoted themselves, this is that early church that was baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So here's a church that's full of devotion, not to golf, but to four things. Four things they were absolutely devoted to. The first thing that they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. So they said, you guys have been with Jesus. We want to know what it is that you learnt from him. Teach us about Jesus, the one that we signed up for when we repented and were baptised in his name. Tell us more about Jesus. And guess what? In God's providence, the apostles wrote some stuff down. Did you know that? And we have that. So we can today devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching by getting into God's word. So that's handy. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. That is spending time together, encouraging one another. Because here's the secret. Christianity is not a solo race. Christianity is not a solo race. And it's so funny, isn't it? I'm preaching to the converted quite literally here, aren't I? Okay, Because you're in church. The people who think that Christianity is a solo race are, by definition, not here, Right? But anyway, well done for you. They devoted themselves to teaching, to the fellowship. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. It probably meant that they ate together, but the breaking of bread means it was also probably related to the Lord's Supper. So they were breaking bread together, remembering Jesus' death, and then they probably went on and had a meal together as well. And so they were eating together in remembrance of Jesus. And it also says they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, prayer was a Jewish habit, and they kept it, but they kept doing it daily and together. It's a beautiful picture of devotion to Jesus. They devoted themselves. Now, uh, if I said that you'd become an expert at prayer in 10,000 hours, uh, how many of you would be up for that? It's interesting, though, when you start going, well, if I pray five minutes here and five minutes there, how long does it take to get to 10,000 hours? Take a little while, won't it? So if we were devoted to prayer, we'd get better at it quicker, I suspect. Anyway, some encouragement. That they were devoted to teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and of prayer. And I want you to see how beautiful this fellowship that they had is. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what, what do we see here? This fellowship resulted in them loving the least. Does someone have need? Yep. Now, I, I'd heard... I don't know if this is true, but I heard in um, uh, the JWs, they have a thing where 
uh, at the end of their little service, all the men go into a room and they say, hey, fellas, is anyone here in trouble? Anyone in, in need? Okay, you're in need? Okay, boys, let's solve this problem. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it's really interesting to think that there's enough transparency to say, do we have any needs here? No, no, I'm doing perfectly. We're all doing perfectly, aren't we? So does anyone know my needs? No. And then could we meet the needs collectively here? The answer, of course, is yes, isn't it? But do we know and do we choose to share? What we see here is that they were loving the least in their community right from the start. How did they do that? Well, first of all, it wasn't socialism. So they didn't say, so it says everyone had everything in common, but you can't sell your possessions to help those who have need if you have everything in common because then it's not your possessions. And I don't know if you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember them? They got into big trouble. In fact, they died uh, because they told the church that they had sold stuff to give it into the church's property and they'd given all the money to the church except they'd held some back. Now that story, they got in trouble not for holding it back but for lying about what they'd done. It tells me that not everybody sold everything and there wasn't just one big pile of money, okay? So it wasn't socialism, but it was sacrificial care for one another. And it was, apart from everything else, just a beautiful community. A beautiful community. Now, most of us, if we stop there in Acts 2, and we often do go, what do I want my church to be like? I want my church to be an Acts 2 church, right? Brilliant. Absolutely amazing, and I want that to be the case. But we're going to see a little bit further on the story. Maybe the Acts 2 church didn't say an Acts 2 church as well. What, what are the joys of growth? What, what do we see here? What, what are the joys of growth? We see new life begin. So we see people start following Jesus for the first time. That's brilliant. We see new households join us. That's fantastic. We start new relationships, and they often lead to new friendships. And one of the great joys that Carol and I have had is we have real friends here that I did not know, we did not know six years ago. And I'm delighted and thankful to God for the wonderful fellowship that we enjoy here. What are the joys of growth? New things. Brand new, beautiful things. Guess what? Same as it ever was. That's always the case when God's growing his church. Always the case. And, and we've seen this, you know, we, we used to do a thing called Corner Connect Barbecues, where we'd find an empty block of land and we'd door knock the street and we'd say, we're putting a free barbecue on in your street. Come out. We want to help you meet your neighbours and make new relationships. And it says that the early church enjoyed the favour of all the people. And it's worth saying, as part of our history, like we love doing this, uh, as part of our history, um, we were actually given as a church uh, a community service award from the Oran Park town guys who said, we love how you're building our community. It was a fantastic moment of affirmation in this pattern here, which is enjoying the favour of all the people. Well, that sounds brilliant. Let's stay in Acts 2 land. All churches are exactly like that, yes? So what happens? Well, what happens is the challenges of growth. Uh, think with me. Imagine you go overseas uh, and um, uh, you're, you're travelling along and you meet up with a group of people and you find out that there are some other people in this big mixed group from many nations. There are some other Aussies. 
So what do you do? Well, we're Aussies, aren't we? And so we hang out together, fantastic, and you listen to your weird accents, and you go, we sound very uncultured in any other setting, except for us. Anyway, you get the idea. When we're, in, when we're in overseas, we talk about us being Aussies together, unless you stay together for too long in the bus, and then we work out where you came from, and we decide that you're from New South Wales and I'm from Queensland, and we can't talk anymore, or maybe you're a Mexican from south of the border down there in Victoria. But it's funny, isn't it? Like, so our first instinct is to be united. Over, over more and more time, we find that these things that will divide us. So it's really, it's really interesting. Have a look at how that worked out in Acts chapter 6. So we saw our Acts chapter 2 church, and now we're going to see what happens in Acts chapter 6. And I think this is so helpful for us to remember that this is actually part of the scriptural account of the early church. Not because it's great. Acts chapter 6 and verses 1 to 2. So there'd been all this persecution in the church that, that Carolyn brought, brought for us just before in the reading. Then in verse, uh, verse 1, in those days, the, numbers of disciples were, uh, the number of disciples was increasing. So good things happening, right? The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So so what's happening? Here's a church with multiple challenges. In chapter 5, we meet Ananias and Sapphira, and we see in this early church, there is the start of selfishness. People are keeping for themselves rather than giving into the community generously. Secondly, we see in chapter 5 that the Sanhedrin tells them, you need to stop speaking of the name of Jesus, and we're going to flog you, and we're going to put you in jail. The third challenge that they had was the one that we just read, which is the idea of segregation. Now, we know about segregation, don't we? We've got to separate the rubbish from the recycling. Okay. Here, they decided that the segregation was not New South Wales people and Queensland people, or recycling and rubbish, the, the distinction was, the segregation was, um, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. I want you to see that their challenges that they got were at each point of their strength. So they had been a generous church, and they found challenge in selfishness. They had been a proclaiming church, and they found a challenge from the authorities to be quiet about Jesus. They had been a united church, and they found the challenge of segregation. Each of their strengths had been pushed as they were keeping to grow into a weakness. That's good for us to note, isn't it? That's good for us to note. And so what about these Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews? They had been hanging out together, and then something happened that had forced them apart. Cities of origin, language, culture, and worldview were now the things that divided instead of Jesus being the thing that united Jesus had been the center, and now all of a sudden we're talking about things like, you speak Greek only. We speak Greek and Aramaic. We have a, uh, a, a Greek uh, education. Well, we have a Hebrew education. Well, we're from the, the people of God scattered around. We've been in Jerusalem the whole time. Well, well, we've had to leave our families to come back to Jerusalem because we love God and we want to be with his people. Yeah, but our family's here. And so all of a sudden, there's this tearing apart which says, you're other than me. You're other than me. We have so much in common, right? Notice the bit at the end of both of those lines is what? 
Jews. They're still all Jews, but they've decided to make the bit before it, the bit before it, the dividing line. And if you have a look at it, it's possible that the Hellenistic Jews, which had a background in Greek living and education and whatever, that background had meant that they'd probably come to Jerusalem. If they'd come to Jerusalem, they'd probably left their family behind. If they left their family behind, then widows would have been more exposed in this community. Does that make sense? Do you see, do you see how that makes sense? So if I'm away from my family, if I've travelled, then I don't have anyone to pick up the widows because my family isn't here when my husband dies. Do you see? And so all of a sudden, what are we doing? Well, we're preferencing the real Jews who speak Aramaic and are properly Hebrew as opposed to these foreign Jews that are kind of hangers-on. Now, guys, it's really important to note, I'll just be 100% clear, this is racial segregation in the early church. So as soon as you want to go, Acts 2 is the perfect church. Acts 2 becomes the church in chapter 6 as well. There are no perfect churches, and if you find one, guess what? You'll ruin it. So here's the thing. That was the challenge that was facing them. And the impact is always on the least. The impact is always on the least when these things happen. It'll be the the people down the bottom of the pile who can't look after themselves that will be impacted most by these things. So what was their response to the challenges of growth? Uh, When I watch uh, my boy play soccer, and I, I didn't do it yesterday, but I normally do, when he started to play, do you know what it looks like when you play soccer when you're with little kids? You can throw a, a handkerchief over all the kids because they're all, do you know what I mean? This is just a swarm of bees that are just around the ball, you know? When it gets better and better, what happens is you find specialisation. Everybody isn't the person trying to kick the ball. Some people are a forward, some people are a back, even the goalkeeper's occasionally involved in the game. But specialisation is the way that you respond as you get more and more aware of the game. And that was basically how they responded. Have a look at verses 3 to 6. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenaeus, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. So what was their response? Their response was to focus and delegate. We know what we're here for, prayer and the ministry of the word. Incidentally, watch every minister say it's the ministry of the word and prayer. Just a little thing to watch us. Okay? It actually says prayer and the ministry of the word. That's interesting. Okay? Good challenge for me. But they want to say, we will stick to our knitting. You guys can help us do this thing that looks after this task. And interesting enough, someone said that most of the names are Greek names, which is really interesting. The second thing that they did, and we see it back in chapter 5, is in response to their challenges, this is what they did. Uh, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. How did they respond to being told to to shut down speaking about Jesus? Well, they rejoiced and redoubled their efforts. They kept at it. You've told us to be quiet. We will absolutely not stop speaking about the love of Jesus. So what are the challenges of growth that we will feel? That was the challenges for them. What are the challenges that we will feel? I think... 
a whole bunch of us, for a whole bunch of us, change is hard, isn't it? Did you notice that the couches are different out there? Out there? Did you notice that? Morning tea is set up a little bit differently this morning as well. No, no. look, we can make fun of these things, but changing things is actually really hard. And for some of us, we're wired up to, I know what this looks like, and I know when I go to church, and change can be really hard. I want to say continual change can get tiring. And some, some of you have been on this journey, my beautiful wife, uh, a whole bunch of you, have been on this journey for a long time. Continual change can be hard. Let's acknowledge that. And we will be stretched. So next week, guess what? We're doing double the kids' ministry, double the music ministry. That's pretty big. We're going to be stretched. That, that's what's naturally going to happen. Uh, it's the best thing, but it's not the easiest thing. That they're going to be our challenges. Guess what? Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. I think the wonderful thing that I'm seeing increasingly here at New Life is we're talking about the early church was being pulled apart by, um, by seeing all the differences. I, in contrast, am seeing our church more and more reflect our suburb, and I love it. How can we respond to our challenges of growth? Here's how I'm going to finish with you. Uh, we have these uh, amazing set of values over here. Uh, we're trying to say that we want to be giving the message of new life and we want to be living new life for Jesus as people who are faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring. And we want to give you some application points along that line. Here's how we'll go. We want to be faithful. So we want to be like Dan, the Dan plan. We want to keep on, we want to keep on meeting together and we want to practice daily devotion to God. So keep meeting. Come back next week at 8.45 or 10.30. Um, Practice daily devotion. So if I'm going to get better, I need to engage with God regularly. So that's faithful. How about adventurous? Uh, the apostles were told explicitly they couldn't speak in the name of Jesus. Have you been told that yet? Oh, church. Has anyone told you that you're not allowed to speak in the name of Jesus yet? Huh. Still allowed to until the Greens get the upper hand and we get told we can't. But guess what? We, we, we really are free to do it. So in all of our glorious freedom, let's not do anything about it. What a, what a tragedy that will be. We'll look back at some point, I'm sure, in the future and go, wow, we had so much freedom. How did we use it? And I want to say to you guys, here's our challenge. I want you to continue to boldly share your life and faith because we're free to. And I'm really challenged by looking at this early church to let the kingdom shape how we deploy our life and finances. So do I want you to sell everything? Can we try and do a better job of meeting our needs collectively? I'm sure we can. Sure we can. And it's adventurous because it's totally out of the ordinary. So I want you to think about that. Let's be adventurous in that regard. What about compassionate? We want to show Jesus' love to the least right here. Who could we forget? You can think about that. Who could we forget? And I want us to be looking out for those who might be left out. Looking out for those who might be left out. Uh, this is the biggest challenge, I think, not only doing well on Sundays, but opening our table in our homes that we might reflect that we don't hold the boundaries of our world as the boundaries of our church. Yeah? Will we open our home, our table, to those who otherwise might not be in our houses? 
How about enduring? I want us to keep, keep an eye out as we go to this new service structure. I want us to keep an eye out for those who might be stumbling in this transition time. It's about caring for others. And I want to encourage you to keep a thankful and rejoicing heart. Uh, you said, Michelle, uh, the antidote for worry is thanksgiving and rejoicing. I think that's right. Let's rejoice in the good things that we see God doing as we do this time of transition. I had one more thing, which was for me, uh, a supporting thing for our tree. I need to delegate and empower ministry more and more and more. That's what they did, didn't they? Choose seven men and hand them over to this responsibility. And Jeff and myself and Michael and Lauren need to work hard at prayer and word work. Well, that's the early church. And uh, I think it's a great example for us because it's glorious and it's flawed. Yes? I want our church to be glorious and flawed as well. Well, less flooring, more glorious, but let's, let's get on with that, yeah? We are responding to God's growth here at New Life, and I'm incredibly thankful. Next week, we're going to have an 8.45 at 10.30. We're going to continue to have a 6 p.m. And I want to encourage you to welcome new faces amongst us, same as we ever have. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the good God who grows, builds, and sustains your church. Father, would you change us so that we would be faithful and adventurous and compassionate and enduring in the way that we pursue this growth. Father God, build your church, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen.